Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, July 2nd, 2022, and we are broadcasting live from Jefferson Park in Chicago. And uh, to be honest, it's hard to believe that uh, the year is, is half gone already. It goes by so fast, time now does, and uh, so we have to make the most of it. Uh, my name is David Canfield, and I'll be the, your host for this hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And uh, if you'd like to send us a note, you can do that at notes at thechristianfaith.org. If you have questions or comments about what you hear on the pro program, or if you have uh, comments in general about the Christian faith and questions that you'd like to ask us about, we'd be happy to hear from you. And again, that helps us to know uh, if we need to clarify anything that we've shared or present maybe something in a, in a different way to bring out uh, points that we've been talking about. So what we've been talking about on this program is the matter of transformation in the last several programs. And uh, that's a, it's, it's such a profound topic uh, and such, such a crucial topic in the New Testament that we as believers in Christ need to be transformed into the image of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And so we've tried to cover that a little bit. And if you haven't uh, heard those uh, programs, you can uh, listen to them on the podcast, which is the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast. You can find that on iTunes or Spotify, or again, go to our website, thechristianfaith.org, and uh, click on the media tab, and you'll find the podcast uh, there. So the matter of transformation uh, leads to another question. If we cover this topic, and if we say that we need to be transformed, then that leads to another question is, well, what happens if as a believer in Christ, I don't experience much in the way of transformation during my lifetime. Maybe I live my life in a careless way. I'm not really serious about following the Lord. And so the Lord just doesn't have much of a way to really do a work in me. What happens in that case? And that's what we want to consider uh, in this program, begin to consider in this program, and in, uh, as the Lord leads in the next few programs as well. Uh, because this is also a very serious question. Uh, a lot of Christians seem to feel that once they believe in the Lord Jesus, God's work in them is basically done. They're saved. Their sins are forgiven. Well, there's a sense in which that's true. But there's also a sense in which there's not, that's not true, that there's still much more that the Lord needs to do in our lives. And if that does not happen, then there's going to be a very serious problem when we go to see the Lord. It does not mean we can lose our salvation. Our salvation is eternally secure. But we can have a very serious issue with the Lord when we see him if we have not been faithful in living our lives uh, here on the earth. And uh, I'll just state it. Uh, the key point here very briefly is the question is, where will we be during the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth? That's the millennium. A lot of Christians uh, maybe don't consider that. I think many Christians today, most Christians probably understand that after this age, we don't enter directly into eternity. After this age, uh, Christ is going to reign on the earth for 1,000 years. So it's true, our eternal destiny is secure. Where we spend eternity, as a believer in Christ, that's already been settled. I already know where I'm going to be spending eternity. But I don't know yet where I'm going to be spending that 1,000 years. And that's a very serious question. And we'll explain that uh, a little bit more uh, later on. Now, when I first heard this teaching, I have to say, uh, I, I was a new believer and what I'd heard up to that point was uh, the teaching about the security of salvation, which is absolutely true. Uh, but then I picked up a book by Watchman Nee, and it's called The Salvation of the Soul. And we're going to be uh, referring to that uh, 
in the last segment of this program, we're going to go through some of the portions in that book, The Salvation of the Soul by Watchman Nee. And in that book, he gets into this matter of what it means to save the soul and what it means to lose the soul. And he talks about the discipline of the Lord in the next age. And at that time, I was a new believer, as I say, and I already appreciated Watchman Nee's writings very much. Uh, and they've always been a real blessing to me. Uh, but when I read this book the first time, I just thought, I remember thinking to myself, oh, I, I don't like this. I, I, I like Watchman Nee's teaching in general, but I, I, this part I don't like. I don't care for that. I don't, I don't agree with this. Well, I didn't have any reason for saying that because he brought out a lot of scriptural references and a lot of verses as the basis for his teaching, what he was teaching in that book. And, uh, but I just didn't like it. And I, I know a lot of believers who hear this teaching when they're just introduced to it for the first time are probably going to have that same reaction. I, I just don't like it. Uh, they, don't have, they don't know why they don't like it. They don't know why they don't agree with it because it's hard to find verses to oppose this point of view. But if you're not familiar with it, then you're just not going to like it. So eventually, I, when I looked at it, I considered it over a, a period of time. Eventually, I re realized this is absolutely what the New Testament does teach. Uh, this matter of the possibility of losing the reward of reigning with Christ during the millennium. And, and so I began to uh, accept that teaching more and more. And so I would encourage you as a, as a believer in Christ, as the one who's listening to this program, just consider this matter soberly before the Lord. Don't reject it out of hand. Look at the verses that we're talking about in a very serious and sober way. And I'll say very frankly, one major reason why Christians today are so superficial and so shallow for the most part in their following of Christ is that they don't see this matter of the reward and discipline of the believers. And if you don't see it, then you know, you're going to live your life in a loose way. You're not going to be that serious about following Christ. So, so consider these words soberly, these verses soberly. We're going to point some things out. And of course, what we always urge you to do is come to the scripture for yourself and look at it for yourself and think for yourself about what these verses are really saying. You know, I, I, wanted, I wanted to illustrate uh, this, this whole teaching with a, a story, which is, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny, uh, but I, I think it, it uh, uh, illustrates it in a very good way. Uh, and I've, some have heard me tell this story before, but uh, when, I, I, when I was growing up, you know, I, I say I grew up in Chicago, I mean the Chicago area, uh, out in Arlington Heights. Uh, and this would have been uh, probably, uh, it was around 1970. It would have been, a problem, I guess, it was the late 60s. Uh, my brother and I uh, had a friend named John, and, you know, life was just, it was so much more free back then. You know, you just, you know, just kids don't appreciate what they've lost today. You know, you have these phones and you just, there's never a minute's privacy uh, or just a minute to yourself. But back then you just go places, you know, in the morning you'd say, hey, mom, we're going over to Sponge Lake to go fishing or we're going to head over to the park and play some ball. Fine, be back in time for dinner. You know, just it seems like kids don't have that kind of freedom today. But, uh, but anyway, so, uh, so one day I must, it must have been a summer day. Uh, my brother and uh, and John and I uh, wanted to go to the store and and get uh, get some ice cream bars. And so we went up to the Ironton Market, and uh, we went to the Jewel there, probably. And of course, that's long gone now. But back then, things were a little more relaxed, and so. If you wanted just one ice cream bar, you didn't have to buy the whole box. You could take one out and uh, and just pay for the one. And so we opened up a box, and uh, the box said that we opened up said one free in every box. 
And so we, we took some ice cream bars. And then John is going through the checkout line at the front of the store, and he shows his ice cream bar to the cashier, and he says, I took the free one. <laughs> and, of course, he was joking. He had to pay for it. Uh, but how does that relate to what uh, we're talking about today is because that's exactly how so many Christians treat the Christian faith. You know, the Christian faith, so to speak, is a box. And inside that box, there's something that's free, right? And that's God's free gift of eternal salvation. If you simply believe in Christ, your sins will be forgiven and you're going to be eternally saved. But that's only one of the things that's inside that box. And unlike the stories at that time, more like the stories today, God doesn't let you just pick out the one. You have to take the whole box to get the free one. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians, they just like that free one. I'm going to take the free part and I'm going to leave the rest of the box there. And it doesn't work. Just like it didn't work with John, uh, it really doesn't work today when we come to the New Testament. If we want to take the New Testament, what's really there, we have to take the whole box, not just the free part. Yes, the free part really is there. It really is there. And that's a wonderful truth. We strongly teach the eternal security of salvation. If I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, my eternal destiny is settled. I know where I'm going to spend eternity. There's no question about that. The question is, where am I going to be spending that 1,000 years? That's what I don't know. Nobody knows that. We're not going to know that until we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so, uh, so to be clear, this teaching does not contradict the teaching of eternal security, but it balances it, it, it in a very healthy way. It helps us to see the other side. And in fact, seeing this other side will greatly enhance and uh, increase our understanding of the security of salvation because then we can put the right verses, uh, put the different verses regarding salvation in their proper place in the New Testament. Because some people who don't see this matter, they look at verses that seem to say we can lose our salvation and they apply that to eternity. And they say, then you, so you can't, ha you can't really have uh, the security of your eternal salvation. But once you realize that's not talking about eternal salvation, it's talking about what, what we may call the kingdom salvation or the millennial salvation, where I'm going to spend that 1,000 years, when we realize that, then those other verses have their proper place. And I realize they don't affect uh, the verses that talk about the eternal security of my salvation. We want to, we want to be clear. Uh, the eternal salvation is once for all. The moment I believe in Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. This truth was recovered at the time of the Reformation through Martin Luther, right? The verses like Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 8 uh, speak of uh, salvation as God's free gift. By grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourself. Uh, that's a past tense. It has been saved. We have been saved through faith. That's the once for all aspect of salvation. John 5, 24 he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but is crossed out of death into life. It's a wonderful promise. If you haven't believed in Jesus as your Savior, look at John 5.24 and tell the Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I want to cross over from death into life. Again, we always like to, because we don't know who we're talking to, um, who's listening. If you're, if you're not yet saved in that aspect, in that sense, Open your heart to the Lord. Receive him as your Savior, and your eternal destiny will be secure forever. Praise the Lord for that. 
Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13 is another very strong section, right? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise the Lord. So the New Testament strongly teaches the security of salvation, and that's what we strongly teach as well. But there's another side, and that's just what we're going to be talking about in these next few uh, programs today and in the next few programs. And the one who really began to see this, first of all, was a man named Robert Govett. And he, one of the things he understood was that the New Testament, or the Bible as a whole, always presents two sides of any truth. That, and that's a key principle to understand when we come to the Bible. There is a two, he called it the twofoldness of divine truth. Today we probably say there's a twofold nature to divine truth. And to see any truth in its wholeness, you have to see both sides. And my guess is that this probably comes out of the very Godhead itself, right? What, what uh, uh, this twofold aspect of the truth, because God himself is twofold in his nature. God is one. He's absolutely one. There's a oneness to God that's unique. Um, he, he is here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, right? There's absolutely a oneness to God. And yet the Bible shows us also very clearly God is three, He's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So you have to see both sides. If you strongly insist on one side, if you strongly insist God is one, and you might think then God can't possibly be three. It can't possibly be true. It's actually, it's not a contradiction. It doesn't say God is one and he's not one. But it says God is one and he's also something else. He's also three. You have to see both sides of that. The same thing applies to, to the person of Jesus Christ. He is God who became a man. He's the full, complete God who became a man, and yet he is a human being, a real man. Again, you have to see both sides of the truth. And sometimes, with some of these truths, it may seem like um, we how, how these two things can be both be true at the same time is hard for us to understand, and yet it's what the Bible reveals. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to the matter of salvation. Yes, our salvation is eternally secure. Uh, our eternal salvation is secure. Nothing can ever change that. Regardless of whatever happens in the rest of my life, I am, have the assurance I'm going to be with Christ for eternity. And if you're a believer who has any doubt about that, I would strongly encourage you, look at the verses that we just referenced. Uh, they do show you the eternal security of salvation. But there is another side uh, that we have to see, which is my uh, millennial destiny is not secure. Uh, I have not yet obtained to the kingdom salvation. That's a lifelong matter. So that's the aspect of my salvation that is not secure yet and will not be secured until I stand before the judgment seat of Christ uh, and it's determined whether I enter into the joy of the Lord or whether I don't. And, uh, and that's the side that balances. So we can have the assurance, a strong assurance, I'm going to be with the Lord for eternity. And yet, at the same time, there's something I still need to attain to. Now, I appreciate the way Watchman Nee uh, put this, um, and uh, I, don't, I didn't find this in his writings, but I, I, I read where he said, God sets before the sinner heaven and hell. God sets before the believer reward and discipline. So there's something for the, for the uh, sinner, a person who's not yet saved, an incentive there. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. If not, there's eternal perdition. But there's something before the believer as well. And that's whether or not we enter into the Lord's reward or we don't. So we, we also have that incentive.
And Robert Govett, uh, I appreciate very much. He had a very good example uh, uh, to illustrate this point of how we need to see the other aspect of salvation. And that had to do, this was back in, uh, he was writing in the 1800s. And so he gave the example of the discovery of the planet Pluto. And I don't, I don't remember the, uh, the, the specific planet, but he said at a certain point, the astronomers were, were, were looking at the movements of a certain planet. Maybe it was Jupiter. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, and it, it just did not, they just couldn't figure out what was going on with this planet. Because according to the laws of physics, uh, they felt, okay, this is where it should be here, but it's not. And now at this point, it should be over here, but it's not there either. So we don't understand what's what's going on. It seems like, are the, are the laws of physics wrong? And Govet said, well, eventually they realized, it occurred to them, maybe there's another force out there that we don't realize is acting upon this planet and making it move the way that it does. And so they began to look around, and that's when they discovered the planet Pluto. And when they discovered that planet, then everything came back into the harmony. Uh, they realized, no, the laws of physics, we didn't get that wrong, they're right. We just didn't see something else that's actually out there. And so he applied that to this teaching uh, of the reward and discipline of the believers, that there's so many verses in the New Testament, if you don't see this teaching, you simply don't know what to do with them. We're going to get into those verses here in a minute. Uh, they just don't fit into this uh, this teaching that once we're saved, we're always saved and there can be no problem between us and God anymore because they sure seem to indicate there can be a real problem between us and God. And he said, once you see that there's another object in view, it's not just the object of eternal salvation, but the uh, object of the kingdom salvation. Once you see that, then all these verses again fall into the, the real harmony that they should have. And so that's what we want to try to do in these programs is to put these verses in their proper place and harmonize them so we see the whole matter of salvation in the New Testament, not only the matter of the eternal salvation, uh, but also the kingdom salvation, the reward and discipline of the believers. So maybe uh, that's enough for this uh, segment. Uh, we're going to go on in the next segment and we'll begin to look specifically, at least in a very brief way, at, at some of these verses that talk about the uh, the reward and discipline of the believers. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge, both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab, or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen.
Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And again, if you have yeah, comments or questions, uh, send us a note at uh, the Christian Faith notes at thechristianfaith.org. And I, I know this uh, this teaching is going to be very new to a lot of believers. So again, we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback and see if you have questions about it. And we, maybe we need to explain something further. So uh, during the break, I was considering before looking at the specific verses uh, about. Uh, the kingdom salvation. Uh, there's still there's another uh, principle that probably we should talk a little bit about first, and that has to do with the recovery of the truth that's in the Bible, uh, and because I think that will help believers understand why this teaching has been understood more recently. Uh, you know, the, the biblical revelation is progressive. The revelation of Christ, the re revelation of God's purpose in the Bible is always progressive. It's a little bit here, a little bit here. No truth is ever revealed once for all, whether it's about salvation, whether it's about Christ, whether it's about God's purpose. The biblical revelation is progressive. And, and I, just about every Bible teacher realizes that. You know, the seeds are sown in Genesis of so many great Bible truths, including redemption and God's purpose. Uh, and then they, they grow all through the Bible. Eventually, they're harvested in Revelation. So you need the whole Bible to have a clear understanding of these matters. You can't just pick out one verse here or there because God's purpose is progressive. God's revelation is progressive, rather. Well, the same is true of the recovery of God's truth. Uh, we would strongly say that uh, the divine revelation was completed by the end of the first century with the writings of the apostles. But not long after that, that truth, the truths in the New Testament were locked and they were hidden away for many, many centuries. Um, and, and you had the darkness um, of the Roman church settle in and really hide so much of the truth that's in the Bible, so much of the truth that's in the scriptures. It wasn't until you know, roughly the 1300s, 1400s, 1500s that gradually the truth began to be uncovered. And you had uh, William Tyndale uh, may have been, uh, no, John, John Wycliffe, Wycliffe may have been just about the first one. Uh, he's been called the morning star of the Reformation. Uh, and he began to stress, we have to come back to the Bible as uh, our authority. He strongly stressed that. Uh, John Huss followed him. Uh, he was uh, martyred, Huss was. Uh, and William Tyndale also, that was the father of the English Bible. He, he was also, he was burned at the stake. These men began to stress the importance of coming back to the Bible as the authority of our faith. And that really opened up the door for the Reformation. And then, of course, in uh, the early 1500s, Martin Luther recovered the truth of justification by faith, that we're saved uh, by faith alone. By th I, I, I'm not quite sure. I, I know it's important to some people exactly how you say it. By, by, we're saved by grace through faith, by grace alone through faith alone, right? And so that was recovered by Martin Luther in, uh, in the early 1500s, in the Reformation, and uh, pounding the, the, the 95 Theses on the, the church door in Wittenberg, I think it was 1517. Uh, that was a great, great truth that was recovered at the time of the Reformation. But that wasn't the only truth God had to recover. There's so much more truth for God to recover through the centuries. The Reformers never saw anything about the second coming of Christ. They, they were faithful. They were dear brothers, dear servants of the Lord. They were faithful to what the Lord had given to them, but they, they didn't recover anything about the second coming of Christ. Um, and you can just uh, go through century by century and see uh, step by step how the Lord 
continued to recover more and more of the truth. So Martin Luther recovered the matter of justification by faith. Uh, roughly a hundred years after him, you had uh, the pietists come along and they felt, okay, we're justified by faith, but we need to live a holy life. We still need, we can't just, that doesn't mean we can just live any way we want to. We have to uh, seek to, to live a holy sanctified life before the Lord. Uh, after them, you have Madame Guyon, and it's a name some of the listeners may know. Um, she was uh, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, and yet she saw something about this matter of having Christ as our inner life. If we want to live a holy life, yes, we need to. But the only way we can do that is by having the inward experience of Christ as our life. And so she recovered very much uh, about what's been called the matter of the inner life, of knowing Christ as our life inwardly, which is a crucial aspect of the recovery of the truth. And her writings have been a great help to so many believers ever since then. Uh, in the 1700s, you had the Moravian Brethren come along uh, under uh, Count Zinzendorf. And they began to realize something, uh, that if we have this life as Christians, we should come together to have an expression, a communi community expression of the fact that we are one in Christ by this life of Christ. And so they had a wonderful testimony together uh, uh, on Her in Herrenhut, which was the uh, estate that Zinzendorf had. Uh, they were, it would, this, was this, this was the group that had that 100 years of prayer. Uh, and and they, they, they sent missionaries out all over um, so many places uh, to spread, spread the gospel. So they recovered that aspect of the truth. In the 1800s, you had the Plymouth Brethren with John Nelson Darby, and they saw so much more. Uh, they began to really recover matters of biblical prophecy and the types of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, and they also saw something more, much more concerning the body of Christ. God wants to have uh, his expression on the earth, in the body of Christ. Uh, and they, they, they really began to realize we should simply come together as believers in Christ. We shouldn't be anything other than that. We're simply believers. There's no New Testament basis for dividing the saints in any way. We're just believers in Christ. In the 1900s, you had Watchman Nee and his co-worker, Witness Lee, uh, who developed much of what the brethren had uh, uh, taught and, and others as well. And they really... Uh, Brother Lee in particular began to see something about God's central desire is to depart, is to impart himself into humanity, to uplift our humanity, to make us uh, the same as God in terms of our life in nature. And that's how God really gains his expression. That's this matter we've been talking about, transformation. So the recovery of the truth is by many brothers, uh, some sisters, over so many centuries, uh, it's never once for all. But tragically, uh, so many believers seem to feel that the basic uh, recovery of the truth was accomplished 500 years ago, and, and God hasn't been doing anything since then. And that basic truth that was recovered has to do with this matter of the eternal security of salvation by faith alone. But if we see this principle, God is recovering the truth step by step, that it didn't stop with Martin Luther, then we'll be much more... Uh, clear, it'll be much easier for us to understand, oh, yes, uh, we are saved once for all, but then some other brothers saw something else, that there's another aspect of salvation, and that has to do with the reward and discipline of the believers. Uh, and as I, as I said, uh, just to flesh that out a little bit, the brother who really began to see this in the 1800s was a man named Robert Govet, uh, and others who really have uh, picked up this teaching would be uh, D.M. Panton, um, Mr. Govet uh, 
was a, the pastor at a place called Surrey Chapel, and uh, another brother named D.M. Panton followed him there at Surrey Chapel and continued his work. Uh, D.M. Panton has a book on this topic called The Judgment Seat of Christ. Very sober matter. Um, and so these are some of the brothers who began to recover this truth about the kingdom, reward, and discipline of the believers. And in uh, in the 20th century, uh, brother, both Brother Watchmanee and Brother Witnessley also very much strongly stressed this matter. So, um, and so that's what's come to us today. Uh, and you know, I'm I'm very thankful that it has because it does give us this balancing view of of salvation. So. So now let's look at, at some of these verses, and we're just going to go through these briefly right now um, for the most part. So, uh, but some of these verses which talk about our salvation as something that's ongoing, it's not yet completed. Uh, and, and because this is a major line of teaching in the New Testament, and, and Christians a lot of times want to brush these verses aside, but we should listen to these verses and really hear what they have to say. So Matthew 10, 22, the Lord is sending out the 12 apostles and he, uh, he tells them they're, they're going to face a lot of persecution, but he says, he who endures to the end will be saved. So salvation here is not by faith. It's not believe once for all. It's he who believes, he who endures to the end will be saved. Now you could say that that's in relation to the persecution they were facing at that time. But in uh, Matthew 10, 28, a few verses later, the Lord tells, he warns the apostles, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, he's not saying that they have to worry about uh, uh, the loss of their salvation, about spending, about eternal damnation. No, he's not talking about that. But he's making a point. The ones who persecute you today can only, the worst thing they can do is kill you. But God you're going to face God after death, and he has the ability to judge us after death. And so he's the one we should fear. So it's this, the, the point of this verse is that it shows he's not simply talking about the persecution of uh, the opposers. He's talking about the judgment we are going to face in the next life, in the next age. When he says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. That persecution we face, and not just the apostles in their time, but the persecution persecution we face today, the same principle applies. If we endure to the end, we will be saved. It's not uh, if you believe in me one time, you're going to be saved. It's if you endure to the end, you will be saved. Because he's not talking here about eternal salvation. He's talking about the reward and discipline of the believers. Uh, Matthew, or sorry, Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, a very strong verse. I want to look at these verses and read them. Uh, Okay, Paul, in the, up until this point, he's talked about justification, how our sins are forgiven uh, in uh, Romans chapter 3 and 4 and up to this point in chapter 5. But then uh, Romans 5 verse 9, he says, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Then verse 10, for if, we were, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved in his life. So he's saying now here, we've already been reconciled. And yet we still need to be saved in his life. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That refers to our eternal salvation. We're fully reconciled to God. Praise the Lord for that. But there's something else that has to happen. There's much more that needs to happen. 
once we have that reconciliation, he says, much more we shall be saved in his life. That refers to God's working within us in our life to prepare us to meet the Lord. And that's what we see in this next section of Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, how that life works in us to conform us to the image of Christ. And now to be clear, every believer is going to experience this. That's not the question. If you're a person who's believed in Jesus, eventually you're going to fully enter into the salvation that we have in Christ. The question is, when does that happen? Is that going to happen in this age or is it going to happen during the millennium? If it happens in this age, when we see the Lord, we'll be rewarded by entering into the millennium. But if we don't experience that in this age, then the millennium will be a time of suffering for us because we still have to go through this process of being conformed to the image of Christ, to be saved in his life. Uh, and so if, if we do it today, we have a reward. If, it's, if we don't, if we're not faithful to the Lord in this age, then the millennium becomes a time of discipline for us so we can enter into the Lord's presence in eternity. Everyone, every believer is going to have this experience. It's a question of when. Okay, that's Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Uh, then you have verses, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Um, it talks about those of us who are being saved. In the King James Version, it says those of us who are saved. Uh, and that's kind of ambiguous. Uh, but like as Vincent points out, the meaning here really is it's, we're in the process of salvation. So uh, uh, you can translate that as those of us who are being saved. It's a present tense salvation. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. These verses trouble many believers. And, and again, I just I don't like it when we, we just try to brush these verses aside and say they don't agree with my teaching. So I, I have to kind of uh, more or less just discount them. But what these verses tell us, uh, Paul exhorts the believers, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both the willing and the working for his good pleasure. So here, Paul is saying, we have to work something out in our life. He charges us, you have to work out this salvation. Yes, God is working within you. Praise the Lord for that. We have no way uh, to work this out apart from God's working within us. And yet we have to work it out. Work out your salvation. So here again, we strongly see salvation is something we need to experience today. And I want to say a word, you know, um, those who uh, stress the matter of the eternal security of salvation, uh, and I was just watching a, a, a very well-known preacher a, a couple days ago talk about this. He's, uh, salvation is, uh, and he's very much in the Reformed tra tradition, he says, uh, when it comes to salvation in Christ, it's uh, faith in Christ plus nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's faith alone, faith in Christ alone. And, and that's right. Uh, that's strongly, I would strongly agree with that when it comes to the matter of our eternal destiny. But it does not apply to the millennial kingdom. But when it comes to the millennial kingdom, works are involved. You know, the way I would illustrate it is this way. You might show up at the millennial kingdom and thinking you have a ticket, right, to get in to the kingdom. And you show it to whoever's guy, the guy at the door. And of course, this is just an illustration. And what he may say to you is, yeah, well, yeah, that's right. That ticket, that's a valid ticket. But that show doesn't start for another thousand years. And that's exactly the case. You have a ticket, so to speak, for eternity. Praise the Lord. If you believed in Christ, I assure you, you have that ticket. Your destiny is settled and you have the assurance of where you're going to be spending eternity. But what we don't know is where we're going to be spending that thousand years. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in, in a minute. Um, 
Hebrews 10:39 but those who but we are not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul again we have to believe to the saving of the soul that's a present tense we are those who believe to the saving of the soul right then uh, the last verses along these lines, again, a very strong statement. This one by the Apostle Peter. This is in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. I'll read the whole section to give the context. Uh, Peter says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And a more literal way of translating verse 18 there, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, is if the righteous one is saved with difficulty. If the righteous one is saved with difficulty, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Or some, you could say, if the righteous one, if it's hard for the righteous one to be saved. But however you translate that, the point is, he's saying, you're already righteous. Yes, in God's sight, you're already righteous. And yet you still need to be saved. And that in the context, you're saved to the uh, persecutions that we suffer as Christians, right? He says, and then he goes on, it's time for judgment to begin from the house of God. And if first, if it begins with us, where will the end, what will the end be of those who do not obey the gospel of God? He's saying we need to be judged to enter into, to deal with all the negative things in our being. God allows these persecutions to take place. That's a big reason why he allows them to take place is to carry out this kind of judgment, this kind of dealing that we need to have to enter into, uh, to prepare us to reign with Christ in the next age and in eternity. And that's, again, very strong verse, talking about how our salvation is present tense. And it's interesting to note, uh, I didn't realize this until uh, I read it in the writings of G.H. Pember, where we see this principle applied, that judgment begins with the house of God, is in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, in the book of Revelation. Because Revelation talks so much about God's judgment on the earth, but judgment there begins with the house of God in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. So, uh, you see, and you see the Lord speaking in very strong words to the churches there. You know, he tells Ephesus, I'm going to take your lampstand away unless you repent. He tells the church in Laodicea, I'm going to uh, uh, vomit you out of my mouth. He's talking there to, to the churches, to the saved believers. Very strong words showing, yes, we need to be judged to be prepared to reign with him. And so that's really what uh, Peter's talking about here in First Peter chapter 4. The righteous one is saved with difficulty. And so, again, all these verses point us to the fact, as believers in Christ, there is an ongoing aspect of our salvation. There's a sense in which we still need to be saved. And so, that's, uh, I think that's enough for this segment. And then in the next section, we'll, we'll go on and continue with this same thought. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him 
so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello and welcome back. Um, I'd hoped in this program to get into Watchman Nee's book, The Salvation of the Soul, uh, but we uh, we may not have time. We'll we'll see how things go in this in this last section section here. But uh, because there's still some basic points that we need to need to cover before we do that. So um, we've been talking a lot about the millennium, just in a in a general way, and that's that's what uh, we need to discuss next. Is uh, uh, give a little bit more uh, detail about that. Um, and again, we want to stress, we don't enter straight into eternity. And this is a basic concept that we need to grasp uh, concerning this matter. That, uh, you know, the Christians, they, they preach the gospel and, and they, they ask that question, if you die tonight, do you know, will you go to heaven? Well, the answer is no, you're not going to heaven if you die tonight. Even if you're a believer, you go to paradise in the heart of the earth where we uh, await uh, the final judgments. Uh, that the resurrection hasn't taken place yet. It's not going to take place uh, until the end of this age. So it's just such a, uh, a, a limited way of, of uh, presenting the gospel and uh, understanding what the gospel is. So, but according to the Bible, it's very clear uh, the, uh, after this age, I mean, look at Revelation chapter 20, uh, Christ is going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Uh, and maybe, I guess... Uh, Probably need to, to read those verses. Um, I hadn't marked those out ahead of time. But uh, um, so at the beginning at, at, at the beginning of Revelation 20, the angel comes down and he binds Satan for a thousand years. He casts him into the pit, and it says, um, uh, "Shut him and seal him, so he should no more deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a little while." And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. Uh, and uh, it says uh, the rest of the dead, uh, they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's Revelation 20, verse 4. The rest of the dead did not rise until after the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And again, it says in verse uh, 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. They shall live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. But when the thousand years are completed, Completed, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations. So that's the key section in the Bible that talks about the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. And it does end with Satan's rebellion uh, to clear up the last negative uh, remnants of anything negative on the old earth. Uh, And then at the end of that uh, rebellion, you have the new heaven and the new earth coming down out of heaven from God after the, the old heaven and the old earth are destroyed. So after this age... We have the judgment seat of Christ. Then we have the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth with his overcoming believers. And then we have eternity. So 
that's that's a key concept to grasp and 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 to understand if we really want to see clearly the matter of the reward and discipline of the believers because that's when the faithful believers will receive their reward and the unfaithful believers will uh, receive their discipline for not being faithful to the Lord. And so some some would ask, well, okay, are there any verses in the New Testament that clearly show that we as believers cannot have the assurance that we are going to be with Christ for that 1,000-year period? And I would say, no, there's no verses that clearly show that. Uh, there are some that pretty well indicate it, but there's no verses that, that clearly and explicitly show that. But I would just turn the question around and say, okay, if you think all the believers are going to be with Christ for eternity, are there any verses that indicate that in the New Testament, that all the believers will be with Christ during the millennial kingdom? And again, for sure, the answer to that question is no. It talks about those who live and reign with Christ, but there's no indication there. Is that some of the believers or is it all of the believers? We don't know based on that verse alone. So regardless of which view you take, there's no explicit view, one way, no explicit verses one way or the other concerning this matter of whether we will be with the Lord during the millennium. But as I say, uh, to support the view that the reigning with Christ during the millennium is a reward for the overcoming believers and not a, a gift to all the believers, uh, there are strong indications in the New Testament regarding that. Uh, Matthew 25 is, is uh, uh, maybe the best because that's where you have the parable of the ten virgins, uh, the, uh, the wise virgins and the foolish virgins, and the foolish virgins don't have oil in their vessels and so they get shut out. Now that's going to take uh, probably we may take a whole program to get into that parable because it's so so meaningful. But uh, many of the Calvinist believers, the Reformed believers, who simply won't accept the the view that there's any work that needs to be done in us after we're saved, they they twist themselves into pretzels trying to come up with reasons for saying that the the foolish virgins there are not real believers. Now, it doesn't say they're false believers. It doesn't say they're false virgins. Rather, it says they're foolish. You know, it's not that the question isn't whether they're true or false. The question is whether they're wise or foolish. And at the end of the parable, and again, we're going to get into this in more detail, it doesn't say they go to the lake of fire. It says they're shut out of the feast. That's the punishment. So that strongly is indicating uh, in the context of the whole New Testament, the feast there must be that thousand-year reign of Christ. And so I think that's probably the best, most direct indication that uh, we will uh, if we're not faithful, we'll be shut out of that wedding feast. In the next parable, in Matthew 25, is also very strong. Uh, it's the, the three uh, servants and the, the parable of the unfaithful servant. With the one talent, he buries it. He shows up uh, to Christ. I, if, you don't, if you don't accept the view that we may face a serious discipline as believers when we face the Lord, I, I just don't know what you do with these parables. But, it says he gave them talents. Go make a profit. How do you apply that to simply believing in Christ? It makes no sense whatsoever. That has to be a saved believer there who was not faithful. And if we're honest, you know, there's a, there is a view. I, some people teach, well, um, if you're uh, not faithful, if you're, if, that means you weren't really saved. Well, first of all, if you think that, then now, how in the world can you possibly have the security of salvation? Because if you're unfaithful, that means I must not have believed in the right way. And, and some people say there's, there's a saving faith and then there's a kind of faith that doesn't save you. It's just crazy stuff. But um, 
uh, you have to come up with some reason for saying why that that unfaithful uh, uh, servant in Matthew 25. And, I, and let me get that reference uh, because that's uh, quite important. As uh, he shows up with the Lord and he didn't gain any profit. Uh, and he, he says, I knew you were a hard man. And the Lord replies to him. He says, uh, this is Matthew chapter 25. Uh, he says, uh, 25, 25, the, the, serve, the unfaithful one says, I was afraid I hid my talent. Uh, verse 26, but the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Uh, verse 30, and cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, again, some people say that can't be a saved believer because he goes to the outer darkness. It does not say he goes to the lake of fire. He goes to the outer darkness. It's something different, first of all. But secondly, it just makes no sense to say this is not a saved believer. The only reason they have to say that is because they refuse to face the fact that we as believers are going to be judged by Christ at the judgment seat of Christ for how we lived our lives here on the earth. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. We need to be, have a very serious and sober fear before the Lord uh, that we need to prepare ourselves to face him for that judgment. And, and so these are verses that strongly are indicating that, uh, that we can be miss out on the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Uh, and, and another very strong section is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the end of chapter 9, and verses uh, up to the first part of chapter 10. And uh, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. So, um, well, maybe before that, I'll, I'll just mention briefly, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses uh, 11 through 15 uh, this is a section about how God's going to judge our work. And if anyone works, uh, anyone's work on which he has built on it, if anyone's work which he has built on the foundation endures, he will receive a reward. Here we're rewarded according to works. We're not rewarded according to faith. We're rewarded according to our works and what we built up on the foundation. Uh, but then he goes on in the next verse. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So when we understand this properly, what this is showing us is we can have a much more assurance about our eternal salvation. But what we should not have is a false assurance regarding our kingdom salvation, where I'm going to be spending that 1,000 years. Because here it tells us directly, a direct word. This isn't a parable. Paul says, if, we're, if our work is burned, we will suffer loss. We will be saved but so as through fire. That's a very serious word. There's no question there. No one could say, make any kind of argument to try to say that's not talking about the genuine believers it, because we're building on the foundation. But we, if we suffer a loss, we still be saved, but we'll be saved so as through fire. Um, so then, uh, and finally, and this will probably be where we have to close out the program, is in Paul's word uh, at the end of 1 Corinthians where he's talking about uh, running the race. And he uses the example of the nation of Israel. And um, I thought I had those marked, but uh, oh, I guess it came off. Okay, so it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race course all run one, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may lay hold. 
Everyone who competes in, for the prize is temperate in all things. Uh, they do it for a perishable crown, we for an imperishable. I run in this way, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So some believers, maybe they're more spiritual than Paul. Uh, they feel we have, to, we have an absolute assurance there can't be any problem uh, when I go to see the Lord. Uh, but Paul didn't have that assurance. He said he still had to run the race. He still had to buffet his body so that he would not be disqualified. Now, some have falsely used this uh, passage to say, see here, you can lose your salvation. He's not talking here about salvation, though. He's talking about being disqualified from the crown, from the prize, from the reward. And that's the crown uh, uh, of, of, that we will receive if we're faithful to Christ when we reign with him during the millennium. Of course, in Revelation 20, says, I saw thrones and they sat upon them. That's when you're on the throne, you have a crown. That's what Paul's talking about here. He wants that crown of reigning with Christ during the millennium. And that's what he's striving for and struggling for. So he did not have the assurance. He never had the assurance of that. In Philippians, you can look at Philippians chapter 3. He's still pressing forward. It wasn't until the very end of his life, Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter 4, I'm not quite sure the reference is at verse 8, uh, I fought the good fight, I finished the, uh, kept the faith, I finished the course. Only at that point, at the end of his life, did he have the assurance that he, he'd finished what he needed to do. And therefore, uh, he, as he says, he was going to be rewarded with the crown of righteousness at the Lord's return. That's when he had the assurance. At this point, he didn't. He was still running the race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, he goes on and uses the uh, illustration of the nation of, of Israel. He says, Brothers, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Listen to what he says in verse 6. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also did. He's saying here the history of the nation of Israel is an example for us. Of course, we all know that. They're coming out, coming out of Egypt. That's an example for us. But here, Paul specifically warns us the failure of the nation of Israel in the wilderness is also an example. All these ones, it says, with most of them, God was not well pleased and they were strewn along. So here's another indication. What are they running the race for? He just talked about running the race. In a sense, the Israelites were also running the race to enter into the good land uh, uh, to uh, set up God's kingdom there. Well, we're running the race, just like the Israelites ran the race in the Old Testament. We're running the race today to enter into the millennial kingdom. But here, Paul specifically applies. He says, God was not pleased with most of them. And then he specifically applies that to the believers. He says, their bodies are strewn along in the wilderness. And so, again, that's a strong indication we have in the New Testament that we cannot have the assurance of where we are going to spend the kingdom age. So, we thank the Lord. We can have, there is a real assurance that we should have that we're going to be with the Lord for eternity. But there's also an assurance we should not have, a false assurance that many Christians have uh, that they are automatically going to spend the millennium with Christ. That's not true. And, there, and, and this, even though there's not an explicit word in the New Testament telling us that's, uh, that's the case, 
there still we have many indications that we should not have the assurance that we're going to be with the Lord during the millennial reign of Christ. And uh, so uh, this is a very sober matter, and I urge you to, to look at these verses, uh, really consider this soberly before the Lord. So, uh, uh, and like I said, when I first heard this teaching, uh, I didn't like it, and I just rejected it without really much consideration. But I hope you'll have a very sober consideration. If you do, uh, and you really see this, and I, 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 I assure you, your Christian life will become much more serious and much more sober before the Lord. And so that's all we have time for today. We thank you for uh, being with us. And uh, Lord willing, we'll uh, be with you next week and we'll continue this topic. Praise the Lord. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.